This is Music in the Church, a podcast that brings you insight into today's diverse worship landscape by connecting the dots between beliefs and practices so that you can have a happier, healthier ministry. Hi, this is Sarah Bariza, a researcher and church musician living in Cincinnati, Ohio, at least for another, I think, four days at this point. And I'm Crawford Wiley, an organist just outside Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And you are not moving anywhere anytime soon. That I know of. That's true. No, no, not planning on it. Nope. <laughs> oh, man. So today we're talking about applying to church music jobs. Which is something that all of us have to do from time to oh, time. Oh, yes. And I've had to do it, uh, I think, far more than someone would like to have done it. I've been... Uh, fo- <laughs> Well, you know, you know how it is. I've been, I've been following my husband's job for several years, so I've moved four times in three years, and even here in Cincinnati, I've held well, I've, I've held three different jobs, but one of which is just on Saturdays. But I've held two Sunday morning jobs just because I was offered one that was really, really great, and I was like, oh yes, I would love to work at this definitely step up for me church. So I've done a lot of job searches, and when I was preparing for, you know, my husband is going to match in in March. I'm going to do another job search. Oh boy, this is kind of awful, but it has to be done. I decided to do a survey of people to be like, hey, well, you know, why not turn this into something interesting and learn from other people about their job searches? So I did a job search survey, how to help church musicians be better job applicants. And it actually started out as phone calls I was having. I thought, well, you know, I'll call Mary and Sarah and Sarah and Brian, people who I know who've been on church committees recently hiring church musicians and talk to them about their experiences. And then after I was having those phone conversations, which were just wonderful, and thank you all if you're listening to this podcast, thank you for your insight. But I I realized, oh, well, why don't I just turn this into a survey and get so much more information without people dedicating so much time to a phone call with me? Yeah, and it should be noted that this survey takes into account a lot of people who have served on church music committees, not just people who have Mm -hmm. applied for church jobs. Mm -hmm. So it isn't merely the anecdotal evidence of oh yeah, I applied to thus and such job and got it or didn't get it. But you get to hear from the inside what search committees are looking for. Yeah. So the survey, uh, 268 people took this survey. And of those people, most of them were church musicians. So about 250 of them approximately were church musicians, but many of them had also hired musicians. So think of like a music director who's hiring a cantor, a music director who's hiring the organist. So like, you know, people who've been on both sides, but there was a small percentage that had exclusively been on hiring committees. So we got, you know, a both and in terms of the the people who were taking the survey, but definitely weighted towards people who at least know about church music. So one of the first questions that comes up on the survey is how you go about advertising for jobs or how you go about, if you're looking for one, finding Mm -hmm. a good church job. Mm -hmm. And um, before we get too too much further into this, I want to note that this week and next, I'm posting blog posts with all the nitty-gritty details on all of this. And there are so many beautiful nitty-gritty details. Oh my word, these these posts are all about a thousand pages. Uh, Sorry, sorry, about a thousand words. (laughs) Not a thousand (laughs) words. That is too much. I love data. I don't love data that much. But so like, so here we are talking about jobs and where to find them. If you go to the blog post on this, which we'll link to in the show notes, musicandthechurch.com slash 22, if you go to the show notes, you'll be able to find links to all of these places. But yeah, so play, churches tended to ad- advertise in things like national and local AGO chapters, ACDA. These are U.S. specific and a number of people who took the survey pointed out, oh, well, this is U.S. specific and I I honestly didn't realize, oh, wow, people will take this internationally, take this survey internationally, so cool. But the things that I'm linking to are specific to the U.S. But the thing that came up that was really interesting was how many jobs 
end up being word of mouth. So it's not that all jobs are word of mouth or that churches don't also advertise, but many people who were hired and many people who answered questions about where they as a church committee advertised the job, they just said, oh, well, we did this word of mouth. Which raises the question, if you're looking for a job in a new city, how do you get that word of mouth? Yeah, yeah well, because like if you're in a city, ideally you're building relationships with your fellow musicians. Yeah, you form musical connections. Yeah, and you might not even be looking for a job when you're offered one. Like this past winter, I was not looking for a job. I was happy in the job where I was. And a friend of mine left his post for something else. And the next day I got a call from the music director. Hey, would you like this job? Can you start next month? Let's let's figure this out. And I was like, yes, I would love to work in this, you know, church with two amazing pipe organs. But that's, you're, you've already been in the city and you're forming these relationships and you're building your network. Or you're an organ student, you're a choral student, and someone calls your professor, someone advertises with your university, like that's another form of the word of mouth. Oh, I'm going to call professor so-and-so, see if they have any incoming students. Yeah, exactly. But for people like, you know, like for me, oh, well, I'm going to move to St. Louis and I know one person there. Like, so of course I told the one person I knew, hi, David Sinden, uh, who was on episode five of Music in the Church podcast. Um, but hi, and um, keep your keep your ears open for me, please. But then after that, like, you know, I don't I don't have a network in St. Louis. So I I actually went like a, the really, you know, stereotypical route. I looked on AGO websites. I looked on National Pastoral Musicians and other denominational websites because a lot of denominationally focused job boards don't have only that uh, that denomination. So National Pastoral Musicians is primarily Catholic musicians. But, you know, so I was looking at Catholic jobs, but also, you know, there are other denominations posting posting there because it's a large site to post jobs so these online postings as well as word of mouth are generally the best ways of finding out about jobs with a special emphasis on the word of mouth if you can do that and then once you've identified jobs that you think you want to apply to of course you're looking at the job description which may or may not be complete some job descriptions especially for part-time jobs are really really vague they may have been written by a parish administrator who doesn't really know much about the job or the description might be out of date or they may just have looked at other job postings and written something modeled mm -hmm. after another church's yeah. job posting which may or may not really yeah. reflect what they're looking yeah. for yeah so but there, there's a job posting but you want to apply for a job and you want to find out more about the job so you can actually tailor your job application materials so the things that are open to you are all the church's social media platforms so facebook instagram possibly the church's website especially the church's website. And I feel like your mileage will vary on that because some churches... Oh yeah, there are some churches that are still well back in the 20th century. Yeah, or or they'll say on their website, um, updated version coming soon. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Like, what it's not is... particularly helpful for me yeah. at this moment, yeah. but sure. And, um, and sometimes great. sometimes like the like if you look up their music ministry page, maybe they don't have it, maybe they do. Yeah, or sometimes the music list is from Christmas of 2012, and you think, wow, okay, mm -hmm. well, you know, a lot back can in change 2012, back then. it was doing great. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. one time I applied for a job where it was such a delight because I looked at the description of the organ, and I was like, oh boy, someone who really loves the organ organist has written this, and so it was like a really interesting, in-depth take on the organ. But like, you know, the, the church where I work right now that has a Cassavant and a Jusé Sinclair, so really nice instruments, th those aren't mentioned on the website to my knowledge. So the benefits of checking the church's social media vary, but that's always yeah. a really good place oh, to start. Oh, absolutely. And I think that you can also get a good feel for the church 
the church's culture because you can see pictures of like oh we did this social event we went to this charity we did thus and such and you can get a sense of you can get a sense of the racial demographics of a church you might be able to get a sense of like how big a church is because that might not be clear if you just read the text on the website you might might want to see if you can see some pictures and you might in pictures if they don't say anything about the instruments well you might be able to see a picture of the choir standing in front of the yeah. organ at christmas yeah or you can you can get it you can get a sense of the size of the choir mm -hmm. or multiple choirs yeah. that kind hopefully of thing. and again like photos might be out of date and you it's kind of hard to tell but it gives you a sense the other thing that's open to you if you're thinking, okay, I'm going to apply to this job and I want to know more about it, and you might not think about this if you've re never really applied for jobs before, you can call them or you can email them. And by them, I mean that could be the secretary, that could be the current music director, that could be the pastor, it could be the head of the search committee. I think you should start with the head of the search committee if they're listed on the job description. Right. So your first introduction to the church doesn't necessarily have to be your cover letter. Yeah. You could be expressing interest over the telephone. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you have to do that. And I think when I first was like, quote unquote, regularly applying for jobs when I um, moved to DC several years ago, I don't think that I contacted people ahead of time because I didn't really realize that I could because I would sometimes right. look at a job description and actually for the job I ended up getting, I didn't quite understand all of the job description. And now in retrospect, I realized, oh, well, I could have just called the search committee chair and I ended up having a really great conversation with her in, in the midst of the interview process before I actually, before I actually interviewed, I had this phone call with her, but I could have done that before I even applied and it just didn't occur yeah, to me that I could. Yeah, and it could have answered questions that you had earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just didn't realize I could. And that's, that's a really normal thing. And I think that sometimes churches will appreciate that because they're like, oh, well, someone's actually interested in making sure that they're a good fit. They're not, not just applying to everything in sight. Not that there's anything the matter with applying to everything in sight if you really need a job because you know what? Oh, I also absolutely. Like to pay my rent. Yes. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it kind of put, it kind of puts a personal connection on the application yeah. that they and are it now gives expecting. Your, it gives you your know? tone of voice. It shows that you're interested. I know a lot of people in your and my generation, Crawford, are not as inclined to pick up the phone, but a phone call can be a really convenient way to just chit chat with someone and just put a voice with who you are, whereas email can sometimes be kind of awkward. Yeah, it's a really easy opportunity to make a good first impression. I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm always like, do I put an exclamation point on or not? Because I realize at the end of the day like obviously I'm a woman and people can be like oh well you're super you're super excited because you know well women get stereotyped like that right so right. I'm like oh is, is it going to sound unfriendly if I don't have an exclamation point and uh you know and I, and I overthink it whereas if you're on the phone well you're you're just talking on the phone you're just being yourself yeah yeah, yeah ho hopefully. at least at least ostensibly yeah, ostensibly, yeah. ostensibly so once you find a post or two or three that you're interested in one of the things that will inevitably come up is your desire to know what their salary is like. What what are the norms for that? And what are your norms for mm -hmm. a salary? Yeah. And what should those be in the city that you're thinking about moving to? Yeah. Yeah. And in the past for organists, the American Guild of Organists had published guidelines for salaries and due to um, a court case that's no longer legally available. So you can't like look at that and be like, oh, well, what what is a general guide to general salaries? Not that churches necessarily pay that or... You know, but just like give yourself some ballparks for yes. your area. So what you can do is if you have a network in a city, you can ask people for ballparks. Like, you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily going to say, oh, this is what I've been offered. But you can also say like, you know, like what are what's a general ballpark for a part time job with one service or what's a general ball ballpark for an organist only position for a couple services, like those kinds of things. But what you can also do, especially if you don't have a network, is you can usually see job postings going years back. And a lot of job, job postings don't list a salary, which we'll get to in a minute about how to work with that. But yes. a lot of job postings do. And you can start to see a pattern of, 
oh, this is what is normal in this city for this kind of job. Because you can see oftentimes several years worth of job postings. Yeah, and across the US, salaries can range oh, hugely all over vary. the map. Hugely, so, hugely yeah. vary. And it's not just about cost of living. It's also about saturation of musicians. Like I currently live in Cincinnati, which yes. has the College Conservatory of Music affiliated with the University of Cincinnati. And Cincinnati is saturated. So a lot of churches that in another city would have a combined organist choir director position and have to pay pretty well to get that. In Cincinnati, they can have an organist and a choir director and they don't have to pay very high in, in terms of like cost of living, you know? Right. Yeah. So another Midwestern city, for instance, I'm moving to St. Louis, um, salaries are a little bit higher in St. Louis on average because there's not a big conservatory there. So when you're looking at job postings, a lot of job postings don't list salary. And if you are on a uh, search committee and you're listening to this, oh my word, please do list a general range or something because it puts musicians in a very tricky position because you have no idea if a church is going to offer something that is in the norm or radically outside of it. Yeah, and you don't want to put all of your time and energy into essentially, you know, courting a church, mm -hmm. you know, to find out if you're a good fit, you yeah, know, getting interested in the all the time on the, the committee program. side. Like, this isn't just about the yeah. position. That's a lot of time for the committee to be putting in only to have someone go, oh, wow, that's $10,000 less than the average, and you might be nice, but I can't really afford to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it saves people a lot of time. And also, in, in my survey, a number of people who are hiring commented on, oh, well, I don't like it when someone, an applicant, asks about salary right away. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that might be kind of awkward, but it's also a way of protecting you and them from a huge amount of wasted time because some churches really do expect to pay something radically lower than an average, which, you know, again, if someone is going to take the job, I'm not being down on people taking jobs they can get. You yeah, know, that's sometimes, fine. sometimes that's what you'll need. Yeah. yeah, and, I, and a lot of people who are, you know, they're working a part time job and they might be an accountant and they just do this for fun and it's some nice money that's extra for them. And that's fine. Yeah, so it might it might still work out very well. Yeah, for the yeah. Like, so I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing people, churches yeah, for yeah. what they can pay. But if your church has a general sense of like, well, this is the line item in our budget and this is the general amount that we can pay. I don't see that there's anything to be gained by a sense of mystery yeah, surrounding the I, I don't see any any gain there because you know someone might apply for your job it doesn't help the church it doesn't help the musicians no, it's just no yeah but so if you're in that place where a church hasn't said anything I, w I would say be very careful in how you tread because so many people answered my survey yeah. saying, oh, I didn't like it when an applicant mentioned the salary right away. But at the same time, you might also be asked about your salary expectations. And like what I've done in the past is just said like, oh, well, my expectations are in line with the norm of this region. And it's on the church committee to have asked about that, which they can do. You know, that's, that's, on, that's on them. But it also saves me from listing a number that's potentially much lower than what they were expecting and then like me like losing yeah there are that. so many ways that that could that could end up badly for you yeah yeah and it's and yes. the loss is all on the musician side i think so you know be, be wise and be, be careful there and and do your best to know what is normative in your area so that you know if you're taking a job that pays less than the norm or offers much more than the norm yeah you just i think it's more like you need that information and then you can make a choice based off of it and i'm not criticizing the choice one way or the other you just you should know that information yeah exactly so say that you've found a post that you're really interested in and you want to put together an application one of the things that was most surprising i suppose from one sense about the results of the survey was just how relatively few applications there are for most church jobs yeah which means 
that your application is really worth your time. Yeah, according to my survey, most searches have less than 15 applicants, and many of them had one to five applicants. Yeah, which means that the amount of time that you put into making your resume present you as a person, as an individual, very well, you know, so that they get a sense of who you are, how you would be fitted to that particular church post, is really time well spent. Yeah. And it, it's also like people are going to look at your, actually read your resume, because like if you look online, job search, how-to tips, kinds of stuff, you're going to get a lot of things that are tailored to the expectation that hundreds of people will apply for a job. Right, which is not the case here. They, they probably the case. do have time to read every single cover letter mm -hmm. and probably will yeah. in order to get a sense of the musicians who are applying. Yeah. This isn't so a case it, where you can all expect someone favor. to like look at it for 15 seconds and if they don't like it, throw it in the discard pile. That's not the case for church jobs. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. So I think here it also is important for applicants not just to tailor, but to also not regurgitate like catchphrases. Yeah, you don't want to sound as if you crafted your resume just by reading the church's website and then repeating mm -hmm. it to And them. I think I think sometimes I've erred into that in the past of being like because I have a I have a background, a very conservative background that doesn't necessarily line up with the churches that I've worked in. And so I right, kind of right. have to like signal to a church like just because I have a conservative background, which is very clear from my educational history, doesn't mean that I'm not actually a good fit for the church. And so sometimes I'm like picking up on like catchphrases, you know, quote unquote, and I, I haven't really found a good way around that. Right, exactly. I mean, because you don't you don't want to err too much on one side or the other. You don't want to sound as if you're uninterested in what the church itself yeah. is offering. Yeah. So this actually like opens up to like, you can ask people to read your application materials and help you with that. Also, a lot of people on the hiring side complained about poor grammar or typos, spelling errors. And, you know, many people are like me. We're not necessarily copy editors. I frequently have typos in what I, when I work on and I just, I just, don't catch them and so you yeah know, this you is can, why you want good friends yeah well good friends but like people who will like conscientiously read what you're doing and read it closely so if at all possible yes. you know give your materials to someone else to look through closely not just for typos and things like that but also just to see like does this sound like you yeah does this present who you are as a musician does it showcase the things that will actually be necessary in this particular position mm -hmm. or are you spending two paragraphs talking about something that's really completely irrelevant to the post that you're applying for. You don't want to waste the committee's time. Yeah, and you also only have about a page for a cover letter, only a couple pages for a resume. So uh, you don't yeah, have tons yeah. of tons of space, but you want to use it wisely. Yeah, exactly. It's something that they almost certainly will read, but you don't want to bore them with it. And I have a lot more on job application materials on the related blog posts, which again, that's yeah, all in our so show. much more, and it's so all much more. Yeah, look at it. yeah. But uh, we we initially thought, oh, we could go through all of it on the podcast, and we were like, oh, probably people don't need to hear. Oh like six well, hours half an hour into recording, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we actually started recording this, and we were 30 minutes of just talking about who filled out the survey, and we're like, let's start over again. Let's pick out It was the really one. interesting, but probably not something you'd want to listen no, to. No, no, no. Okay, so moving on to talking about interviews, and again, whole posts on interviews that'll be coming up later this week. But a couple things that Crawford and I wanted to pull out relating to interviews are thinking about conflict and questions about conflict, and the legality of personal questions because in the u.s personal questions are illegal coming from a church so let's let's start out by talking about conflict because a number of people 
who were job applicants had said, oh, the church asked me about times I had handled conflict. How would you handle particular conflict? Yeah, what would you, how would you deal if people were in the choir were arguing? And some applicants said that made them uncomfortable and it made them think, oh, well, clearly there's conflict in the church. And to me, I'm like, well, of course there's conflict in the church because it's every church, church is conflict. It's a church, yeah. <laughs> of course there will be. So to me, that seems like a reasonable question because you will have to deal with it. Yeah, you want to you know how... I mean, to a certain extent, that response on the part of a candidate is its own kind of answer to the committee or to the yeah. interviewing person, yeah. which is, yeah. oh, this is a person who maybe isn't comfortable dealing with a conflict. You know, maybe yeah. they maybe they're unfamiliar with how to deal with conflicts in a professional mm -hmm. setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then on the flip side, a lot of churches, you know, have conflict, or um, a number of people mentioned difficulty working with pastors, especially head pastors and priests. You can flip that around and ask, oh, in, in a neutral way, it's not a, an aggressive question, but you can ask like, oh, right, well, right. tell me about your leadership style, priest so-and-so. Tell, tell me about how you lead in the church. How do you interact with the staff that are working for the pastor? Because a lot of churches, the pastor is like the higher and fire powers with them. Yeah, I think something you had mentioned earlier was the question, which I thought was just brilliant, where do you see this program or this church being in a year or two years, which gives the opportunity for people to voice concerns that they may have mm -hmm. in the present that they can look ahead and see where they think this concern might be taking the church. And that's that's a better way to find out about something such as, well, we think the pastor is leaving in a year or something yeah. like that yeah. than just asking point blank, which can seem in certain context kind of rude. Yeah, well, and not just rude, but also a question that they might not actually be willing to answer because right, maybe right, the right. pastor is thinking, well, yes, I would like to be gone in a year, but I haven't told anyone that, so I'm certainly not going to tell you. Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So so you can ask these kind of open-ended questions and just see how people will respond. And sometimes people will respond with saying, we don't know. And that is a case for you to be able to step in and say, oh, well, I would love to be a person who's leading the music ministry in a new direction. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, because, because you know, maybe they want to hire someone who is executing a really specific vision that is already in place, or maybe they want to hire someone who is leading in a new direction and building things that haven't been imagined yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's a way for you to find out. So the other thing about interviews that Crawford and I wanted to point out is that in the U.S., personal questions are legal coming from a church. So a number of people mentioned... I just point blank, they asked me if I was gay or they asked me, how would you work with choristers whose parents are gay? The really point blank personal questions or are you married? How old are you? Those kinds of things. Do you have children? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you have children? Really point blank personal questions that are not actually allowed in other segments of hiring in the U.S., but that are allowed here. And so you can be asked these personal questions. Yeah, you just don't want to be caught off guard, which means that you want to think yeah, through yeah. what sort of answer you would give to these particular questions because mm -hmm. it is within the church's prerogative to ask them, and it's within your yeah. prerogative to determine how you want to answer them. Yeah, and these questions can also be really revealing of whether you would be a good fit. Yes. Like, whether your family would be welcomed. Like, in my application materials, this round of job applications going to St. Louis, I did mention I'm moving to St. Louis for my husband's job. Like, you know, and gave a little bit of detail on that because I have moved a lot in the last few years and I want people to know it's not just because I like, you know, have this wanderlust and really feel like moving all the time. It's like, no, there's been a specific reason that I've been moving. And now, please, Jesus, I would love to live in St. Louis yes. for a very yeah. long time. So you know? these... And so I had to put that. 
but I, I've also mentioned that I have a son because my husband and my son come to the church where I work. So it is important that they are comfortable and welcomed there. Yeah, exactly. These personal questions, you can kind of look at them depending on your situation and hunting for a job, but you can mm -hmm. look at them as an opportunity to find out just how good of a fit you would personally be in this particular church. This is also um, making me think of how churches will ask about your theological beliefs, your personal religious beliefs. Or your personal religious background. I mean, given that both of us have very conservative backgrounds, yeah. you know, yeah, education-wise, yeah. that's certainly something that And they want, they want to know about how you are a fit in their program. Yes. And, you know, some churches would, would never even ask about that because they just want someone who's going to do music um, selected from their handle right, so right. they're not worried about any theological issues and done. But a lot of churches, they, they're hiring a minister of music, and they, they do want someone who's able to maybe not be exactly the same denomination as them, exactly the same beliefs, but someone who really fits with the ethos of a place. So those kinds of questions can clue you in of whether you're a fit and, um, you know, hopefully guide the, the search committee, but also you in deciding if, if this would be a good long-term position for you. Yeah, exactly. So another thing that came up in this survey is the question of negotiations. Yeah, so you've been offered a job and now you want to decide if you want to take it. Yeah, so there are some cases in which negotiating in a specific way can be very helpful for you or for the, for the church, uh, but in other cases, maybe not so much. So a, a question yeah. that comes up right off the bat in terms of negotiations is the salary, obviously. So let's say that you've had that conversation with whoever is interviewing you about the church's salary norms and say that you think that the salary is a bit mm -hmm. on the low side for what you would expect in that region and for your educational background. How are you going to go about negotiating that? Well, I think the first thing to be said, which a lot of people on hiring committee said, is be honest, be sincere, don't be deceptive in these negotiations. That goes a long way. So if you're able to honestly say, this is outside the norms of the area, is there room for the church to negotiate on this? You're giving the search committee an opportunity to say, no, it is a decided line item in our budget. This is the exact number that we can offer. No more, no less. Because that does happen. Right. And that way it's stated. Yeah. And yes. it's stated and it's not about you, the applicant, being a man or a woman or young or old or whatever in negotiating. It's just this is the line item in the budget. Um, I, I remember taking yes. a job one time where the number like it ended in like a seven or cents or something like that, where it was just like, yep, that is the line item in the budget. And that is exactly how much we're offering. But a lot of churches do have room to negotiate and are willing to negotiate because if you're deciding between, you know, this part time position, that part time position, and they're pretty equal, you might decide to choose one or the other based on salary. And so some churches are able to negotiate within a certain range. So, you know, be honest about that and ask, like, is, is there an opportunity to negotiate on salary? Yeah. And there's the opportunity for negotiation about non-salary benefits. Yeah. And that's actually like a much more likely place of negotiation yes. because church yeah. budgets are often really specific and this is the specified budget that the congregation voted on. Yeah, exactly. And there's no wiggle room. So with non-salary items, and again, blog posts on this, there's lots of things that you can potentially negotiate that are non-salary items. But one big one is vacation because church musicians, quote unquote, vacation is not necessarily vacation. Like vacation for a lot of church musicians means the ability to be not at that church on Sunday morning, which yeah, is exactly. another way of saying the ability to go to a family funeral or a yeah. family wedding. And yeah. so it's not that you went on vacation to go to grandma's funeral. It's you're a human person with a life and most things yes. get scheduled on the weekend. 
Yes. So churches don't always take that into consideration and they think, well, why do you need more vacation than the secretary, which has two weeks? She's full time too. Well, because she has Saturday and Sunday off and you have work on Saturday and Sunday. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, the vacation yeah, yeah. is can look a little different for church yeah. musicians. Yeah, so like, don't, don't be arrogant about that. That's actually something we'll get to in a minute. That's the biggest takeaway. Don't be arrogant about this. A lot of church yeah, yeah. very like, don't be arrogant, don't be arrogant, don't be arrogant, which is tricky because, well, you might need to tell a search committee like that doesn't really understand what quote unquote vacation means and why you actually do need more than two Sundays off a year because you too have funerals and weddings. Yeah, so you can think of it as an opportunity to have a good conversation that will prevent yeah. your having to have a bad conversation sometime yeah. in the future. Yeah, it's a good yeah. opportunity yeah. to Yeah, and a way, again, like to go back to this idea of like honesty and sincerity, this isn't you, you know, trying to manipulate a church. It's you saying like, well, this is, you know, I'm a human person. I also need to go to funerals and weddings unless like let's talk about this and let's yeah exactly and it's the it's the opportunity for the church to lay their cards on the table as well like so that you know what is and what isn't what you're negotiable walking for into. them yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple other things to mention about negotiations just big ones is that some churches are willing to negotiate on continuing education time and continuing education money because it does bring value to them to know that you went and took like the handbell workshop or what have you right it, exactly. it does bring it, it's a very like clearer like, whereas a sabbatical probably isn't in the cards for most jobs because they're like, well, what does that do for us? But to say like, well, I would like a certain number of days so I can do the handbell workshop, so I can do the choral conducting workshop, so I can take X, Y, Z. More churches are willing to do that. Right, it translates pretty employee. clearly into a skill set that will affect your job. Yeah, yeah. And so like, especially for part-time jobs that, I mean, they're probably not going to give you a lot of vacation or a lot of sabbatical time but oftentimes they are willing to negotiate on continuing education because it so clearly benefits them and then the other thing with negotiations is that this is also the point at which you really want to know the specifics of a job description and of course i laugh when i say that because i i have two jobs right now where i don't have a job description <laughs> but but it's the kind of thing where like uh, it, it's a it's a clear-cut job neither of these is a director of music position i'm not right the vision yes. on these, uh, in exactly. these churches yeah. yeah so like you know it's a pretty clear like i do the prelude and postlude and i show up for choir rehearsals and so so like it I, i'm the not saying the set of expectations is terrible. fairly straightforward yeah but but especially if you're the director of music or that kind of equivalent position minister of music director of worship and liturgy whatever it's called you really need a specific job description because yes. yeah. it you want will to know, save you so are much you ultimately, Are you ultimately responsible for the decor in the church? So Crawford is saying that from personal experience he recently found out. <laughs> I mean, the, the extent to which you are personally responsible for something, and it may be something that you, you enjoy or you're glad to yeah. To, yeah. to be involved in, but you want to, you want to know. You, know, you want to this, know that you're is responsible Is this ultimately within, within my domain, so mm -hmm. to speak? I think it also benefits the church in the end to have a clear de job description because then they can say like, well, we want you to do this thing that you're called on to do. And, you know, hopefully right. none of the music and the church listeners would ever be total slackers. But, you know, it, it's nice to have these expectations out sure. in the or, open. Or you want to know, do I have the freedom to abrogate certain areas of what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, well, if this is actually part of the job description, then then no, I probably no, don't no. have that yeah. freedom. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, what well, what is personal initiative? Like, is planning, say, a concert series of my own initiative, or is it something that I'm literally required to do as part of this job? Right, exactly, exactly. And so having, having that in your job description is really, really good. Yeah, it kind of frees you up creatively. Yeah, it does. It does. And it, it, um, it also lets you know whether it would be a miss for you to say, like, oh, do 
I need a someone who's in charge of the choir robes? Can I get a volunteer for that? Can I get a volunteer to file the music? Well, if that's right. in your job description, yeah, maybe actually you can delegate that to a volunteer. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with you because that's your job description and you need to make sure the job, that the choir robes are in good repair. Yeah, exactly. Because that's your job. It's more like more information is good because it, it allows for a good stable foundation for the church and for the musician that they're hiring. Yeah, I think so. So the last thing, which just comes across all the time in reading the survey yeah. results, oh my word, so much is, is you really cannot be too polite when you're applying for church jobs. Human relations are pretty foundational to applying for any job, but in a church job specifically, because you are going to be dealing with people who are coming to a church for all sorts of personal reasons. Maybe maybe it's just because their family has always attended there, but maybe they're coming there because they're grieving or they've been hurt. Mm -hmm. And when you're interviewing for a church position, you really want to communicate, at least if this is true of you, that you're someone who can interact well with other human beings. That I think is, is something that we often don't think about in terms of church music because our training is so focused on be good at your instrument, be good at selecting repertoire, and you yeah, really exactly. need to have the soft skills of working with people. And that's not to say that any of us does this perfectly. And we all have our own person. Oh, gosh, no. we, we all have our own personal strengths and weaknesses. We're never going to be perfect. But I think that if, you, if you're able to like just be an honest, sincere person and have general goodwill towards people. Yeah, you want to respect the committee members or whoever's interviewing yeah. you. So like something that we've kind of touched on throughout our conversation is how you might need to educate a committee about something in the sense of like oftentimes a committee won't have any church musicians on it. They might have like the elementary school music teacher on the committee or something like that or a choir member, but they don't necessarily have a church musician on there who would understand, oh, here's why you need more vacation because it's not really vacation time or th things like that. So like, yeah, you might need to tell a committee like, oh, well, think about it this way. But that doesn't mean that you want to be arrogant. So as much as possible, especially given so many people who took this survey, mentioning arrogance as a problem, as much as possible, try to approach those interactions with humility and an understanding yeah. that just because someone doesn't understand doesn't mean that they ha have ill will towards you or are trying to um, get one over on you. Yeah, you want to you would assume the goodwill of the other people. Very, very much so. So that scratches the surface of all this information that we have from this survey. And that's just about all it own. does is scratch the surface because oh, there's so the surface. much more there. You could dive into this for a week. <laughs> so check out the show notes, musicandthechurch.com slash 21. That's the the numbers to one. Check out the show notes. I'm posting one post a day, Monday through Friday, this week and next week. All of this information, there's so much advice on interviewing and potential questions that you might ask, like, which I'm like, oh, wow, 10 years ago, I would have loved to know what kinds of questions I could or should ask when I'm in the midst of interviewing. Wow. So much collective wisdom. So a big thank you to the 268 people who took this survey. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that wisdom with us. And I really hope that it benefits church musicians and maybe some uh, some uh, church committees who are hiring. Maybe they'll start uh, posting more salary expectations <laughs> and full-fledged job descriptions. Wouldn't that be good? But, you know, hopefully that hopefully it will help all of us who are working in this field. I, I think that there's a lot of wisdom here. And that's it for this week's episode of Music and the Church. Share your thoughts by emailing us at musicandthechurch at gmail.com or leaving a voicemail at 513-580-4282.
We've already mentioned this week's show notes. And I also want to say that this is our second to last episode of the season. Next week will be a podcast episode on things to do during the summer, wrapping up the, the coral year, and looking at the And there are so many year. things to do during the summer. So oh, so many in. wonderful, wonderful things to do in the summer. And also just hit reset and get get yourself organized for the the onslaught that comes in september so we'll, we'll have that episode and then we'll be off for the summer doing all those awesome reset things Huzzah. and um i've already recorded i think uh three different interviews for this coming year which i'm super excited about it's great great to have those on board for the season that will start again in september but we'll be back next week for our last episode of season one of music in the church 